<laughs> you can just keep continue having the same approach. You don't know what you're gonna do. You need to try something different. Yeah. Two one. Machado rips it down the left field line towards the corner, and Manny Machado has given the Padres the early lead in the first. Round it towards third. It's past the diving Muncy. Kim will score to tie the game. A carol off the sidewall. Soto will cruise in the third. It's an RBI double for Machado, and it's 2-2 two to two in the third with nobody out. Who are you texting in the middle of the show? Machado. He's asking me, now what? They're not our daddy anymore. Uh... The San Diego Padres and the L.A. Dodgers, Kevin Barker. Lots of back and forth between that panel and uh, uh, <laughs> and Manny Machado last night. What a great game a Dodgers-Padres game was. Yeah, it's, it's tremendous. I, I, I'd much rather listen to David Ortiz and A-Rod talk any day of the week and, <laughs> and twice on Sunday. It's atrocious. But, yeah, he, he's exactly right. Manny Machado, you know, hopefully this shines a light on just how good of a player he really is. Yes. Like, he, he does things on both sides of the ball that's elite. Now, occasionally when you watch him play, you think about, is he really trying? But, man, when you see him in big moments and just his swing and how effortless it is and the way he, he dives and the way he gets up and throws the ball, he can basically do everything you need a superstar to do on the on the baseball field. But all of a sudden, Jeff, we have two three-game series left, and that's kind of cool to watch if you're a baseball fan for sure. Yeah, I wondered yesterday. I know the Dodgers won game one. But I wondered yesterday whether or not, if you were the San Diego Padres, you know, you you had a chance in that game. You've had the Dodgers' best starting pitcher go against you, and I kind of thought, you know, I thought if I was the Padres going back to the hotel room in L.A., I'd feel pretty good about my chances in Game Two with you, Darvish, against Clayton Kershaw. Not to take anything away from Clayton Kershaw, but you know, he's ancient, and um, <laughs> and uh, and I I can say that as the ancient one on this podcast. <laughs> I have no problem saying people are ancient. There's ancient and ancient turf. But anyhow, uh, you, Darvish, I mean, look, I, I don't think it was necessarily the pitcher's duel that we thought it would be. It was more about a lot of good defense and a lot of timely hitting. But, yeah, if I'm the Padres, I'm going back home. You know that place is going to be energized. My big guy is in the series. My closer, <clears throat> my closer looks like he's in the series. This, look, I, I thought the Dodgers were going to take this, were taking this in four. This it's got the feeling of a five-game series. It really yeah. does. It's got the feeling of back and forth. And, you know, somebody at some point, Kevin, it, well, I think that Robert Suarez inning kind of sums up this whole series. That's what yeah, it's going to be like. Yeah, I think when you are when you hear your manager talk about it, it's not they didn't play a clean baseball game when you're talking about Dave Roberts and, and the way the defense looked with the Dodgers, the way the base running looked with the Dodgers, you know, Soto, Deacon, a base runner. I mean, these things at this level can't happen this time of the year. Uh, situational hitting, I mean, they had plenty of chances to tie a game, to take They're the lead. They were with runners in scoring position. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's Padres are two for 11, right? It, it was not a, a whole lot of hitting when it mattered the most. It's just it's that big hit it's that big play it's that base running era the team that doesn't make it normally wins the baseball game and i'm with you if you're the padres and you're thinking tony gonslin uh, hasn't what he pitched august 23rd and then he pitched mm -hmm. two innings against the 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 rockies on october the third 
he hasn't pitched a ton. I mean, if you're a Dodgers fan, what do you think you're going to get out of him? And the question mark for me anyway going in for the Dodgers was the bullpen. This is going to put a ton of pressure on the bullpen. So yes, those words you're talking about, if, you got, if you're got, if you a Padres fan, you got Blake Snell and, and Joe Musgrove going, man, I mean, is there any time better than the present to sort of get a little mojo back? And if you can beat the Dodgers, that would go a long way for your organization, and, and maybe you can make a decent run if you're the Padres. Yeah, and I kind of wonder, too, I was thinking a bit about this yesterday. Without Fernando Tatis Jr. and the whole the whole storyline behind him, I wonder if you're the Padres. Is that kind of I'm, – I'm not going to ask you if it's motivation, Kevin. I'm sure you're not going to the plate thinking about, oh. I want to do this and screw Fernando Tatis Jr. But I'm wondering if maybe there isn't a little something there. This is a team with a bunch of guys that uh, th- that might feel like they need to prove – not that they don't need to prove themselves, but as a group, they need to do something. I don't know if maybe I'm over, I'm overestimating that whole, you know, sort of trying to prove to the baseball world we're as good as everybody thinks we are. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I I think you got one side of the of the mix that that always gets lambasted, and you got David Ortiz coming on saying something about that's your daddy, and yeah, you know they're trying to poke fun at it, and it's a thing, right? You talk about bulletin board things in a clubhouse, just hang up the pot. The Dodgers are our daddy. I mean, if that's not a enough incentive to go out and have better at bats and play defense and run the bases and do it with a little urgency, and I've said this, and you made fun of me and poked at me and yelled at me whenever I said that the Padres are playing a little bit of house money. Well, you did a little bit. I know what they went out and got and how much money they've spent. But when you lose, what was it? They, the, the, the Dodgers are last 28 games against the Padres are like 28, 23 and, and 28. It means they've only lost five games. Yeah. That's as, about as house money as you're going to get. So just going back home if you're the Padres playing the first home game of the playoffs since 2005 with a 1-1 tie and going who you have on the mound. And if you look on the other side, you've got Gonsolin and Tyler Anderson going for the for the Dodgers, I mean, could it set up any better than it's setting up right now? So, yeah, I think if you're the Padres, go out and have fun, pitch well, play some decent defense, and have somebody that matters in your lineup run into one. You do that, you got a decent chance of winning. Yeah, and the whole uh, the Dodgers are your daddy thing, that goes back to Pedro talking about the Yankees way <laughs> a, a couple of years ago. You know, I guess I'll just say the Yankees are my daddy and, and, and leave it at that. And, of course, Pedro ended up getting – chance of who's your daddy every time he went to uh, uh he went to yankee stadium as a result of that but yeah it was good back and forth that and you're right man david ortiz is uh he's, he's something else and, and what i like about what i like about that panel what i like about david ortiz in particular like you could tell the players are listening to that i we've been in clubhouses players listen to those guys players yeah, listen to those guys I, anytime I, they're on the mlb network and they're listening to guys like ortiz and that and they they're taking note of what they say. Frank Thomas got some solid takes. David Ortiz, I love the other guy. Look, I, I've made no bones about it. I, it goes in one ear and out the other. But, yeah, I, I, th- I think they, you know, they're an important group there. Like, people are going to pay attention to what they're saying. And, and if they say something about daddy, you know, you sort of pay attention to all that. And they poke <laughs> fun. And they're, look, when, when you got a couple of Hall of Famers, on a on a panel and they can talk the way they're talking and they can relate because they've been there and done it before how can you argue right yeah. it's you know there this experience you can't teach that and a couple of those guys have a a lot of it um i want to talk about the Braves and the uh Phillies as well but before we move off from the Dodgers and Padres i, I want you to explain to me what the hell's happened to Cody Bellinger uh Cody Bellinger gets pinch hit yesterday in the bottom of the 8th inning Austin Barnes 
comes up, flies out to end the inning. Kevin, this is a guy who was an MVP a couple of years ago. This is a guy who looked, yeah, I mean, God, he had that tall, elegant, he's that tall player with that elegant swing. Mm -hmm. He was like must-watch TV when he was on a roll. What's happened to him, Kevin? Yeah, I think a lot. I think uh, the sometimes when you have as much success as he's had early on in a, in a career, it puts a lot of pressure on you to make adjustments quicker. We talk about this with Vladdy all the time. The league adjusted to Vladdy with the ball down, the ball down and away, and trying to adapt to that and actually put balls in play that you have trouble putting balls in play consistently. It's not the easiest thing to do. Cody Bellinger has a giant uppercut in his swing. He's very close together. He covers a lot of ground offensively with the way velocities are, the way they game plan, the way they can pitch up now. And as much as they use a breaking ball like this year, last year he's atrocious. Like you take those numbers last year, you throw them out the window, you'd never look at him again. He's made a little bit of adjustments, hit the fastball a little bit better this year. He's hitting 253. But this year it's the breaking ball and the off speed. Off the breaking ball, he a buck 40 off the off speed he had a buck 60 like it's one end of the spectrum or the other it's nothing sort of right in the middle and that tells you mechanically it's either too overwhelming for him it's the dodgers right and you want an mvp not too far removed from that so the dodgers are going to go holy crap why are you not doing these things and they go in and they have every khaki known the man trying to break you down and figure out how this and that and the other's not working instead of just trying to simplify it and say maybe i'm covering too much ground maybe i have too many parts he stands straight up and down his eyes are really far away from the strike zone when i've tried this jeff when you're straight up and down it's very hard to tell up and down strike zones you see him chase with an uppercut swing up a lot that for me is because his feet are close together his eyes are really far away from the strike zone and it's hard to tell and until he makes some adjustments with his lower half widen out do some changes with your hands to make them a little the barrel a little flatter I just don't think we'll ever see that Cody Bellinger again. And it's a shame. You talk about athleticism. He may have more than anybody on planet Earth. It's just trying to put the total package together. And, you know, I've, there's been some rumblings about it. Would he look good as a Blue Jay? I just don't know where you would hit him. I mean, I know you'd probably put him in center field because of what he can do, and that would you know, allow you to not have guys at the big league level who are not supposed to be in the big leagues, and you could move Springer to right, and you could make some adjustments. But there's just – he's broken. And I'm just not sure a new set of eyes is going to be able to fix that. This is, for me, one of those things – I've said this to you, and I've said it a lot because I've been there and done it – where when the season's over, he need to walk home, look himself in the mirror, and go, if I want to stay in the big leagues – I got to make some serious changes with some things mechanically, and we'll see if he can buy into it and talk himself into it to enough to do it, and maybe come back and let the athleticism catch up to adjustments that the league's made. You have to be a total package guy now, just because of all these things, and it's just—it's a shame because he's a—he's an elite athlete. It's just all the mental part of it and the catching up when it comes to the mechanics is just not there right now. DMs are open, by the way, for Barker's back leg bits. We will get to them at the end of the show. Susan Waldman joined us in a few minutes to talk nice. about Game 2 of the uh, Yankees Guardian Series. Mike Stanton, Houston Astros studio analyst, will be along at 1130 and is a uh, former reliever. I think that he might have some opinions on Scott Service's decision to I go it. with Robbie Ray, and I'm not going to let that go. You're not going to talk me out go. of it. Phillies, Braves, uh Good pitching, tremendous, tremendous defense from from the Braves, Kevin, from Austin Riley and, and Dansby Swanson. 
um, on that that particular play. That's that's kind of the Braves' mo against the Phillies, isn't it? That's what they have to do. Yeah, I think so. Look, they're the the Phillies are a very aggressive hitting team. They're they're trying to get after Braves hitters because they want to get in and out of it at bat. They want to get the good better pitch to hit. They want to try and use the entire field. One through nine with the Phillies, you're seeing them do that. Kyle Wright yesterday's curveball is unhittable. Like like he threw 38 of them. He had 20 swings on it. He had seven swing and misses. He only gave up one hit against it. And I think that was the Bryce Harper yep. early in the game that went down the left field line. Uh, you know, and then they bring in Mentor Iglesias and Jansen and all those things. This is sort of what we're talking about when you can add experience power and a different look and a guy like mentor sort of sounds like what the blue jays need right this is why you're winning championships it's you need your starter when push comes to shove to keep a minute long enough that the lineup can have a big inning sort of like the sixth inning right that's that's zach wheeler's dominating with the haters moving it around he's elevating it it's hard to for a lineup to try and figure it out but you need your starter to sort of hold it down to where they can do that and that's exactly what happened. Kyle Wright is really, really good. He's young. And you can tell this is why the Braves are trying to solidify all these guys because this is trouble for their division for years to come. And they were three for four runners in scoring position. We talk we talk about the Dodgers here, Dave Roberts, Jeff. He talks about a clean game. There's many different definitions of a clean game. It could be anything. And the Braves sort of do it. You mentioned with the defense. That's part of it. And the runners in scoring position. You really got to zone in and think about what you do well. And when you get it, don't miss it. And they did it more times than the Phillies did it. And it's about chances. When you get them, you can't miss it. The Phillies had three chances. They were 0 for 3. Brazor had four chances. They were three for four. For me, that's the difference in the game. It was interesting, too, because we've talked so much about how in the playoffs, power plays, power pitching, power hitting, and the Braves won that game with solid approaches. Now, it's not like, and it's not like they scalded the ball all the time, but, I mean, the fact of the matter is they had a solid, solid two-out approach. I think what you were saying about the the home run is true, right? It's it's very hard to string together a bunch of hits, but when you got elite dudes who can throw elite stuff where they want it to, mm-hmm. and they're very unpredictable. Zach Wheeler was the exact same way. I mean, he was sprinkling around that fastball. He threw that breaking ball. He had the slider. He had the cutter. Like he was moving it all quadrants of the strike zone. And you got to be short, and quick. If you're long and take big daddy hacks, he gonna eat your lunch. Kyle Wright's sort of the same way when he's got that good a curveball, makes all the other pitches that better you got to be really in tune with your mechanics your lower half your front foot if you're a hitter and you got to know where the barrel's at so you can be as short and quick and sort of beat these guys to the spot that's what it's all about this time of the year because they're such hard throwers and they can locate the way they can you got to be able to beat them to the spot with the barrel and that starts with your lower half and the team that can do it better is going to Basically, I think a lot of those times win those games. But and this gets back to that thing. These are three-game series now. And this is mm-hmm. sort of, right, the manager's going to come into play the little things like getting deep by the right field or keeping a guy from going to an extra base. It's just little tiny things that can take you to the next level. That If you don't do it, you lose. If you do do it, you win most of those games. Yeah, it's uh, it's the baseball as i said so far has been has been really riveting and and i mean this is what the ds is like quite often the ds gives you the best baseball of the postseason it just it does, does. And i don't know why that is maybe it's be, maybe it's because you know it's the first round of the playoffs or in the case of the you know some of these teams in the case of the the, the rays and the guardians the second or the mariners and the guardians the second round of the playoffs um you know so so, so maybe for a lot of teams there's still that first that first playoff round energy and all that, it just seems 
to me that the DS gives you the best baseball of the postseason. It always has. It just it 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 always has. Yeah. Uh, the Yankees and Guardians are scheduled to play the second game of their best of five series tonight in the Bronx. Seven thirty-seven is a scheduled time of the first pitch. Let's bring in Susan Waldman, Yankees analyst. Uh, Susan, thanks so much for joining Kevin and myself. We trust that you're doing well. I, I you're there. I'll ask you a uh, very simple first question: What is the weather forecast for tonight? Because everything I'm reading and everything I'm seeing. Well, it kind of makes me wonder why you all had an off day yesterday to begin with. Well, well, we started this when it when it happened. Why you had an off day anyway after game one was kind of... And good morning, gentlemen. Um, I don't see how they're going to play. It has not started to rain yet. It's supposed to start about 5 o'clock. And once it does, it's not going to stop till tomorrow. And they're already saying um, heavy winds and um, flash flooding and thunderstorms. I know they're having a meeting around noon to see if they're going to even bother, uh, then I, I guess we'd play tomorrow afternoon uh, before and then head back to Cleveland. But, you know, that was television. We thought of it that when we started. Why is there a day off between game one and game two? They've already had five days off. Why do they need another one? Susan, to your point, if Nestor Cortez, if they missed today, that would be an extra day off. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, he didn't. He hasn't pitched since October the 1st. That's a long time. What, yeah, what, do you, but- what, do you, what do you think we'll expect to see from him when he does pitch? I expect you to see what you've seen all year. I don't think it matters to him. It's not like he's throwing a 97-mile-an-hour fastball and it has to um, you know, hit a different quadrant. He's, he's quite terrific, and he takes care of himself very, very well. And I know they've been having uh, bullpens with guys um, you know, go, standing in against him. I don't worry about Nestor Cortez at all. There's just something about him. And um, he knows he's waited a long time for this. And you know the feeling of being, you know, when he started in spring training, um, he was told, I guess, by the front office that, well, probably you'll start out of the bullpen and, you know, maybe you could, you could be in the mix for a number five starter. And that isn't obviously how it's worked out. Um, but he's, I, him I don't worry about at all. I would worry a little bit about pushing Severino back another day um, because, you know, because the the control that he needs sometimes isn't there. But uh, I wouldn't worry about Cortez at all. Susan, it seemed to me wa- watching that game on TV that um, it, I haven't seen every playoff game at the new Yankee Stadium, but at least on TV, it seemed as if there was something a little different about the crowd at Yankee Stadium in in, in game one. I, I don't know. Well, maybe and maybe I'm reading too much in maybe I'm reading too much into what Garrett Cole said. It just sounded and felt different, Susan. What did Garrett Cole say? I, he just talked about getting the energy from the crowd. You know, drawing oh, okay. drawing oh, the energy oh, okay. from the crowd. I meant it I meant it and I, it seemed louder to me than I've than than in, in, in some pre some recent postseason games just at least well don't forget don't forget there hasn't been a postseason game there since october of 2019 and those guys were ready and i i think that's exactly what i was trying to figure out was it not loud because i know a lot of people have complained about the new stadium that it's not like the old one which it isn't um but no it was they they were ready they were also there very very early which is um uh, which is not usual for a Yankee mm-hmm. Stadium crowd. I never look up till about the third inning to see how many, because it takes a long time to get in there. You know, it takes a long time to drive there to find a parking space, and then you have to wait in those lines to go through all kinds of things. So, um, it, I, it, but it was packed to the gills when um, 
when they started and, you know, brought out CC Sabathia to throw the first pitch, I thought the place was going to come apart. It was, it was amazing. It was not, not something I've seen in, in a lot of postseasons. Usually it's a different kind of crowd. Usually it's a corporate crowd. This Susan, was not. Susan, what's Harris Bader bring to this team? Harrison Bader is a better player than anybody thought. And I know that um, he's an elite center fielder. He does things that sometimes you <laughs> you wonder. I remember Jim Edmonds doing the same kinds of things, and I'm trying to think of who else is that kind of guy. I know there's great center fielders, but he reminds me a lot of Edmonds, who was always can turn his body in a different direction. And when he catches the ball, is in the air, turned toward home plate so he can throw it in immediately. Um those kinds of things I see from him. He also, once he gets on the bases, if you put the ball in play, he's either at third or he scored a run. There's something about the way he plays that the sum is greater than the parts with him. And this is big for him. I mean, he grew up, you know, 10 miles from Yankee Stadium. Uh, went to high school here. His family and friends were all in You know, we got pictures of him as a little boy with little, you know, Yankee cupcakes or something for his eighth <laughs> birthday with a little New York thing on him. And, um, you know, he's a real fan. So it's kind of cool to see that. It really is. Uh, when we looked at the series, obviously a lot of focus in Aaron Judge, a lot of focus in the pitching. But I kind of looked at Anthony Rizzo and thought, you know, yeah, Aaron Judge is going to be Aaron Judge. But there's somebody else is going to have to is going to have to do something in this series as well. I thought, and Glaber Torres was another guy that I kind of put in there. But Anthony Rizzo, it, it's remarkable how many people I think who don't watch the Yankees a lot for, forget how important he is, don't they? Because he, he really does make he makes a lot of good things happen out of that spot. Uh, and on both sides of the ball, because not only is he a tremendous clutch player, I know analytics people hate the word clutch. I will continue to use it because, mm-hmm. you know, he comes out of nowhere. And if someone is on base, he'll get them in some way. Usually it's one of those long, lofty, uh, long, lofty home runs to the right field seats. But uh, the other thing, guys, about about Anthony Rizzo, he's a wall over there at first base. And um, for, and the, the defense is so much better this year than it was last year before he got here, and I think it's because of him. And there's a lot of throwing mistakes on the left side of the infield, and Anthony Rizzo gets them all. And I remember at the beginning of the year, um, Isaiah kind of Falefa plays a little, he has a little out-of-body experience sometimes. He's very, he's very excitable, and he wants to do well so badly that he'll try and be careful, and that usually ends in trouble. And uh, at the beginning of the year, I know Anthony Rizzo went over and said, hey, just throw the ball. I'll get it. I promise. <laughs> And he has, and it's helped with Donaldson, too. Donaldson is a terrific third baseman, but his throws can be a little in the dirt, and he he never misses them. There's also something about him that you guys would notice. Um, If a pitcher, for example, is in trouble, and you look in the dugout and you see the manager and the pitching coach deciding whether to go out and talk to the pitcher, Anthony Rizzo's already there. Yeah. He's one of those guys that you would want as a teammate, and he's another one. The sum is greater than the parts. You look at the average, what's he hitting, 220? Um, but had 30 home runs, I guess. And, and he just does things. He knows, he knows how to win. There's nobody left now that uh, Chapman has decided to take his ball and go home. Um, there's nobody left on this team that, that has won a World Series. And Anthony Rizzo knows exactly what it takes, and he really is the only one. And, and he's, been a, he's been a major leader on this team since he walked in the door. 
Susan, tell me if I'm overthinking this, but every time I see Aaron Judge leading off for the Yankees, I, I just not real sure I get it, especially when you see the <laughs> when you see the bullpen the way it is and, and as yeah. many runs as they're going to have to score. It, it, does that make sense to you that he leads off? I, I think I saw a stat because I knew you were coming on and I knew you'd hold me to this, so I, I made sure I thought I checked it. But you correct me if I'm wrong. I saw in September and October he had 11 homers with 18 RBIs leading off. I'm just not sure – they can win a World Series with him doing that. Am I on to something, or am I overthinking it? Well, I well, I hear that from John Sterling, my partner. Every every lineup, every day, he says that. I, you know, yeah. I understand why he also hits four hundred from the leadoff spot. He has sure. in the last three or four months. Um, but here's the other question, Kev: Who's going to lead off? That's a great question. Yeah, that's the that's the whole thing because what you know how they do this is where are you going to separate the lefties? How are you going to do that to keep it um, to keep it, it keep it uh, together that way? And their leadoff hitter has a broken foot. I mean, you know, DJ LeMay, who he tried and he tried and he tried, he's got a broken foot. He can't, you know, he doesn't say it's a broken foot, and they haven't told us. But I, that's my gist of it is that something is broken in the foot um so he and the fact of it is that he can play the field but he can't hit he can't put any weight on that on the right foot the bat which is his back foot so he can't rotate he can't load you see him trying to shift it so that he can get ahead of it planted flat and try and hit and without him i don't know who's your leadoff hitter i don't know what you do aaron hicks is not going to start aaron hicks has had a a brutal year if he were hitting he walked well he used to walk um and get on base but there's nobody else and i don't know who you i don't know what you do and i cannot pin down aaron boone on why i'm sure they've run all kinds of algorithms but I do know that it that it has worked. But I, I think that all of us that grew up in baseball would think, you know, move him down a little bit so at least somebody is on base when he gets up. Sure. Susan, explain as Waldo Cabrera to me. And and have you seen <laughs> because you've seen a lot of these Yankees teams? Is there another Yankee who's kind of who's who's been able to do what he's done this early in his career? I wouldn't say come out of nowhere, but I, I you know, I mean, he seems to be an invaluable piece for that team. Well, he has come out of nowhere, and he's 23 years old. And, no, I can't think of anybody who has, has come up like that. Um, he is – I know I first saw him in spring training. You know how when we go to spring training, we don't pay attention really to what's going on on the A field? You go over to the backfields, and, and they were so busy hyping Os, Oswald Peraza and Anthony Volpe. But, you know, and I watched him, and I said to one of the scouts, I said, am I crazy, or is that switch hitting shortstop really ahead of those two? And he and the old-time scout said to me, good eyes. We don't do it on eyes anymore, but good eyes. Um, and he has come up, and he is so full of joy. There's nothing he can't do, evidently. The, the stage is not too big for him. It, it really is not. Um, even at the beginning when he didn't hit, he never looked overmatched. You know, he would miss, and he'd sort of nod. And, okay, that's different up here. Um, but he is a shortstop. And he's already started at short, at second, at third, at first, played left field and right field, and has not missed a beat. Um, and he's just, he's, it's not too big for him, the whole stage. I got a great story for you that you might know because he's, you know, you find these kids and they're just so delightful. And he told me he's never played the outfield um, before. He's played like three or four games in AAA, not, not in left, he played right. 
And I said, your, his first game in right field, he went up and he took a home run away from somebody. I mean, it was just stunning. And I said, how do you know how to do that? He said, well, well, my brother, my little brother is at Wichita. He's in the Twins organization, and he's an outfielder. And the two of them sit on FaceTime or Zoom or whatever they do, and he's telling them routes and how you're going to run. And when he moved to, to left field, I said, you're still going to talk to your brother? He said, oh, yeah, we talked about it this morning. That's how he's learning to play the field, through his little brother, who's at A Wichita in the Twins organization. That's awesome. I wish I'd had a brother when I was playing in the big leagues. <laughs> yeah. Through all that. So, Susan, Susan, last one before we let you go. Is there one name out of the bullpen that you think Aaron Boone will have to lean on more than the other names? Well, right now that bullpen is, is a um, – no, I won't say a problem. Um, but I think the one, because Wawaisaga has been up and down, he, he, he was a little off the other day. Clay Holmes, you really don't know what you're going to get. I mean, he hasn't pitched in a, in a while, and he came out of the bullpen the other night, and the first thing he did was hit somebody. Um, I think Wandy Peralta is the name in there to watch because there's something about him also, the left-hander. Because uh, the next person coming out of that bullpen in game one was going to be Jamison Tyone. And if and if Clay Holmes had walked that batter and not gotten the, the you know gotten the end of the game, that that would have been the end of it, and Tyone would have been there. So I think the problem uh, with the bullpen cannot be overstated because it was the strength of their team, and now it's not because there's too many questions in there. Um, I would think Peralta would be the guy, and Loizaga has got to you know, get his former form and. You know, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. That is the biggest question mark to me. They're going to hit. They always hit. The starting pitching is fine. The defense is very good. And I think the big question mark is the back of the bullpen. Susan, really good of you to do this. Okay, Mm -hmm. that being said, I had already had my massage set up in Toronto. What's wrong with you guys? You know how I love to be in Toronto. I had my nail appointments already. I love it up there. This is what yeah, you do to me. We're trying I'll to t- figure that out. We'll get back in about another month once we once we uh, once we know what went on. I'll tell uh, I'll tell John Snyder you're mad at him. <laughs> well, you can tell us that I've never met John Snyder because you you guys are all so busy. I had a wonderful talk with his son Gunner. We talked for a half an hour. And at the end, I, he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm waiting for your father. He said, I wouldn't wait for him this long. <laughs> and Gunnar, yeah, I think, is awesome. what, in first babe? Yeah, he's, he's delightful. Delightful. Yes, he is. Yeah. Susan, all right. thanks You're for this. Best. Be well. Travel safe. Okay, you too. Thanks, Thank Susan. you. Bye-bye. Have, have fun. That's Susan Waldman. Uh, great <laughs> Susan Waldman. That's funny. Uh, yeah, we're still That's trying great. to figure that out. Do you get any closer uh, to figuring out what happened? No, I, the the only question I will have is how much involvement did the khakis have? That that's the only question that I have. Like, that's it. You're like that's you're like Sherlock Holmes tried to with your magnifying <laughs> yeah. glass yeah. trying to figure out trying to figure out where the trail. I'm my binoculars, leads. seeing if I can find the khaki trail. Trying to figure out where the trail leads. <laughs> who was the guy that Who was the guy that pulled the shoot at Kevin Gossman uh, so early? Uh, <laughs> uh, anyhow. Um, uh, Oh, the good thing about I was going to say the only good thing about having good postseason games is it gives us something else to talk about while we uh, while we await yep. further uh, while we await further Wandy, signals from the Blue Jays. Uh, uh, Wandy Peralta is the name that you would have chose out of those names. That's not the name I would have chosen. I, I mean, she knows obviously. Kevin. 
more than we do. I was watching that game. I was trying to figure out where Aaron Boone went next. Like I know Jamie, Jamison Tyone. Uh, Jamison Tyone's going to get some outs for them out of the bullpen because I honestly don't think I don't think right now we talk about the circle of trust. I don't even know there's a circle, let alone a circle of trust with with the guys they have. If if Jonathan Lewisica could could steady things, to me he's the guy with the stuff that could do that. But I don't have any. I don't have any confidence. Really, in anybody? Oh, I can't wait! Right I now. can't wait to Aaron Boone. I can't wait to Aaron Boone does that and goes to him in the ninth inning, and old Jim Blair pulls a Robbie Ray yeah, on yeah. me. What are you doing? How dare you? We're uh, <laughs> speaking of which. Mike Stanton has three World Series rings. He's closed out some games. He's relieved in a lot of big games. He's now the Houston Astros studio analyst and analyst with the MLB Network. He's going to join us and tell us why I was right in ripping Scott Service. <laughs> for bringing Robbie Ray into game one. I know he's going to do that. Mike Stanton joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590. The fan and wherever you get your favorite podcast. All right, we'll get to Barker's back leg bits at the end of the show. A reminder we are on, if you're listening to us via podcast, uh, we are on from 11 to noon Eastern on Sportsnet 590. The fan through the rest of the world series and uh we'll be dropping in here and there whenever the jays do something make any major move in the off season at least that's our story and we're sticking to it february 13th stop it (laughs) (laughs) the uh weather in new york as you heard susan waldman say uh is iffy for tonight's game as in a matter of fact, we may have an early cancellation or we may have this game called early in the afternoon, according to the forecast. No such worries in Houston where the Astros have a one nothing lead over the Seattle Mariners going into today's game, which is a 3.37 Eastern first pitch. It'll be Luis Castillo against Framber Valdez. Mike Stan Oof. is a Houston Astros studio analyst. MLB Network radio analyst. He's a third time world, three time World Series champion. He joins us in Blair and Barker. Mike, thanks for joining Kevin and myself. We trust that you're doing well. And uh, to get this going, you're going to tell me how right I am in wondering what the hell Scott Service was doing bringing Robbie Ray in, correct? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I am going to agree with you. Uh, as much as I Thanks. don't want to do that, uh, and and the reason I was, and actually. <laughs> Uh, I have a son that is in the Air Force, and I had to make a trip up to Minot, North Dakota, and I was actually in the process of driving back down, so I'm listening to it on on, uh, on Sirius XM. And when I heard that, that Scott was bringing in Robbie Ray, um, I looked over at, at my wife and I go, I don't, I don't like this move at all. And she goes, well, why? I said, because you're not going to throw a fastball by Jordan Alvarez. It doesn't matter from the left side, from the right side. It doesn't matter. And that's what Robbie Ray is going to do. I, I was, I was, I, and I know Seawald things were the, the wheels were kind of falling off a little bit, but dude's got all kinds of deception. Yes, it's right on left, but you know, I, I don't think you can make a move just to make a move. I did not like that beforehand. And actually, the statement I told my wife, I said, "Jordan, steal his lunch money." Well, he did. <laughs> that's awesome. T- tell me why Jordan is so good. At the plate, what what makes him elite? Well, I, I think the first thing is the dude is never off balance. 
I mean, and I say never, I mean, that's, it's not literally never, but it's a very, very high percentage. Even when he swings and misses, you know, it's still a balanced swing. But he is he's just got superior eye-hand coordination. There's not really a spot in his, in his swing that you can say, okay, he's got a hole here. I can exploit that. You know, usually you try and pitch him up, but he can get to the ball up. But I'll tell you what, one of the things the Astros have had this year, uh, they have, they've got two left-handed hitters that have destroyed left-handed pitching. Jordan's one of them, the other one's Kyle Tucker. And it's not just they're getting base hits. I mean, they're driving the ball. They're hitting home runs. They're driving in runs. So, uh, but Jordan, Jordan is just one of those special talents when he's at the plate. You know, this guy is literally one of the best hitters in baseball since the day he stepped on a major league field. Mike, let, let's talk this out. Okay, if you're Scott Service and you saw what Jordan Alvarez did to you in the first game, there's no way in the next couple of games that you're facing the Astros that you let him beat you. Now, if you're Dusty Baker, you're thinking sort of the same thing that Scott Service is thinking. How do I get Jordan Alvarez pitches to where they have to pitch to him? They don't have a choice. Question for you, yeah. Mike, is any chance that they would put him in the two-hole and move Jeremy Pena wherever else? Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, that's that's not something D- Dusty has done uh, this season. You know, Dusty has has progressed pretty nicely in dealing with all the analytics and and all that kind of stuff. But he's also he's still Dusty Baker. You know, he's still he's still old school. He's still going to you know he likes to have his big sluggers in the middle of the lineup. Um, you know, I, I jokingly call now they're little league. But because of how you how you put the lineup together, you know, little league team, what do you do? You stack all your best hitters at the top of the lineup, and and then uh, you try and get a few hits in a row and score some runs. That's kind of how Major League Baseball is now. You know, you you have you have leadoff hitters that are home run hitters. Well, why do you put them up there? Because they're going to get more at bats than anybody else in the lineup. And uh, but Dusty still has that that little bit of that old school flair of where he still wants his, his, his big heavy hitters. You know, he wants those dudes hitting with runners on. And that's really going to be the, that's going to be the deciding factor, whether you have to pitch the Jordan or not, you know, protection isn't always with the guy that's behind you in the lineup. A lot of times protections in front of you, because if you get guys on base, like in this situation, um, you know, you, you, it's really hard to walk the bases loaded and put Jordan on in that situation. So you kind of have to pitch to him. One of the yeah. things that really intrigues me about uh, about Dusty in this series is, and, and not just Dusty, actually the Astros in general, they've got such starting pitching depth. And mm-hmm. out of necessity, you're moving guys into the bullpen. And I'm wondering, Mike, what's the key to making sure you get the balance right there? In other words, now all of a sudden I've got nine arms, some of whom are elite and you know, some of whom would be starting, frankly, for any other team in the postseason. Now sure. I got I got them in the bullpen the same time I've got my trusted relievers. How does a manager go about making sure that he isn't tempted? Well, you know, to do what Scott Service did, for example. I, you know, to show faith with your relievers and understand that yeah, this guy may have a wobble right now. He he may I may not have liked the way he attacked that batter. But man, this is my guy. He's done it. He's done it all year. I've got to let him get out of this. I can't bring in that starter who can throw ninety six miles an hour. 
Well, the the difference that that Dusty has that maybe let's say doesn't he has he has guys in the rotation that have actually been relievers. You know, we've seen uh, you know Christian Javier, for an example. You know, problems that Christian has is he's too versatile; that he can be a dominant kind of uh, bridge the gap reliever. He can give you multiple innings, but in leverage situations. Uh, Jose Urquidy is another guy that's pitched out of the bullpen. You know, these guys, uh, and, and, you know, you go back and you look and see what Robbie Ray had done. I mean, it was only like his second relief appearance. He'd always been a starting pitcher. Um, but you also have to, you know, what the managers and pitching coaches are trying to do. They're trying to not just look at the numbers, not just look at left on left, but actually who's got the stuff. You know, what's the hitter's strong suit? You're trying to match up your stuff, and that's why I didn't like the Robbie Ray situation because really what you needed, you needed to get, if you're going to get Jordan out, you needed a left-hander in there that was going to throw breaking balls away, and that's not what Robbie Ray does. But, you know, it, it, is, a, it is a dilemma regardless. You know, everyone says, oh, that's a good problem to have. Well, it is, but it's also a problem. You, you still have to figure out the answer, even if it's a good, a good problem or a bad problem. But the the guys that uh, that that can come in and out of the Astros or uh, rotation, I mean, they have the real ability to pitch in the pen, and they've shown they can do it. And that's that's really the difference. Instead of a an unknown bringing in a starting pitcher that you really don't know what you're going to get, the guys Dusty would bring in that were in the rotation, yeah, you got a better idea of what they're going to do. Why is Fran Valdez so good? He's got the best stuff on the staff. He's one of the best left-handers in all of baseball. And when I say that, I've, I've actually been saying this for a couple of years. I think he does have the best stuff uh, on this team. And people will look at me, wait, but you got Justin Verlander, you got guys throwing 100 miles an hour. Yeah, but when you look at the whole picture, you know, he's got a heavy, heavy running, sinking, two-seam fastball that he can get up to 96 miles an hour. Um, he's got He's got quite possibly – well, I'll put it this way. Probably top two or three curveballs in all of baseball. And he throws it a lot, and he can throw it for a strike. Uh, he's got a pretty good little changeup that go with it. But he doesn't throw anything straight. Everything is cutting, slicing, sinking, you know, riding, whatever it is. And, um, you know, he's actually the maturity process, the maturation process for him has really increased over the last couple of years. And that's, what, that's what's really done it, is that he can throw strikes. They're going to have to get him early. Seattle's going to have to get him. If he gets through the first two or three innings, he very well may go seven or eight shutout. You know, the, his last couple starts, he's kind of struggled to find his command. He's got a little bit of a uh, of a, a unique delivery, and sometimes it's 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 a little tough to find that uh, find that rhythm in that delivery. Uh, but if you don't get him early, you may be looking up at a whole bunch of zeros. Mike, listen, really good of you to join us today. Thanks so much. Has your son been in Minot for uh, for a couple of years? Is This this isn't going to be his first winter there, is it? Because I've been oh, up no. in those parts. No, he's he's been up there. This is, uh, oh, gosh, he's been up there for three years now. So, yeah, he's, right. he's learned. It's funny because he'll walk around. It'll be 35 degrees. He's still in flip-flops. <laughs> and we'll see pictures. And he's uh, like, uh, he's like, we're like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, shoot, this is still warm. You know? Oh yeah. I don't have to put I don't have to put shoes on until it gets below freezing. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean I always used to tell people summer summer in North Dakota, it's the best two weeks of the year. You just can't <laughs> beat it. Right. 
That's right. That's right. Yeah, we were up there. I think the first day we were up there, the high was like 39. And I'm like, it's the beginning of October. Really? But, <laughs> oh. hey. <laughs> yeah, fall doesn't come gently. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate not. this. Have fun, Mike. Hey, no problem, Thanks. guys. Anytime. Thanks. Take care. It's Mike Stanton, Astro Studio Analyst, MLB Network Radio Analyst, agreeing with me on Robbie Ray. I don't think he had a choice. I'm looking forward to it. Th- I, I, I love watching from. We've talked about this in the show before. I love watching from or Valdez pitch. I just do. I, it's, there's a, uh, I, I, I like starting pitchers at a great curve. I still love watching a great curve. I like watching Maybe dudes. Maybe more than any other pitch. I like watching dudes that throw. The other team knows what he's throwing. He can still throw it and dominate them. That's what I like. And that's the guy. They know it's coming, and they still can't hit it. Interesting point, though, Mike made as well. I hadn't thought of that about all of those starters, Javier, Urquidy. They have pitched out of the bullpens. This is not a big transition for them going into the postseason. It's not a big yeah, transition just, for them it to just get gets, into the bullpen. Gets back to that dusty thing. Do you go to yeah. the right guy at the right time? Yeah. Well, um, it's not gonna. It's not gonna matter if the opposing manager is gonna insist on. <laughs> it's more about the eighth inning than it is the ninth inning. Yeah, uh, it is that time of the show. Barker's back leg bits. DMs have been open. They are open. Questions for Kevin Barker. We have a lot of questions and a lot of comments. Gary Cook says Cody Bellinger is the new Colby Rasmus. No, not a chance. I don't don't think that's the case. Uh, A couple of people interested in in Nate Pearson, hearing that that Nate Pearson is um, going to winter ball, pitching in Lee say About time. And and the Jays' plans for him, essentially the Jays' plans for him next year. Perfect scenario is somehow he gives them 100 innings, whether it's in a bulk row, whether it's – out of the bullpen, they're not counting on him as a starting pitcher. But uh, this this question kind of kind of kind of interests me. And and it is: Do you think the fact the Jays didn't bring up Pearson in September or October was because they were protecting his sinking value for a trade in the off season? Something we we'd thought about i don't think that's necessarily the case i just don't think he was ready i i I don't think he could he would have been able to contribute i am intrigued kevin to see what winter ball does for nate pearson like all kidding aside he is not going to have pitched in if if he sticks around for the whole year and that's no guarantee because you know as well as i do a lot of dudes will leave winter ball and cliff floyd who's a guy that everybody loves and can do just about anything. He saw about a month of winter ball and said, I'm out yeah, yeah, it's that, it's I'm that gone. First, it's that first battery that hits you in the thigh. How do you react? You know, you exactly. got to either run off the field or embrace it. For me, this is the best thing he's ever done, right? He's going to go down there. He's going to expect to be booed. Uh, it's about it's performance-driven. Nobody cares if his name's Nate Pearson in LaSalle. No, nobody. They only care if you're dominating people. Go down there and see how hard you throw. Can he locate a fastball to both sides of the plate? That's all I want to see. And can he do it at high velocities? If he can do that, now we're cooking with gravy. If he can't, then you take a step wherever you want to take those steps. Speaking of relief pitching, and it's going to be a big topic in the postseason, Bill Benner has a question. Uh, He's talking about how often does a reliever get up in the pen with the intention to bring him in, but then he doesn't have it in the pen and a team, you know, shuts him down. And and it's it's an interesting point. I guess what he's saying is how often can a guy pitch himself out of consideration 
by what the coaches see in the bullpen. That doesn't happen that often, does it? Because you've got guys. I would say never. I mean, I, I you know, I, I would assume that's that's the highest leverage guys. So what you're telling me is, a dude standing out there, he's throwing his curveball. He turns around to the to the bullpen coach and goes, "Nah, I'm good. Curveball ain't good today." It just it's not going to happen. Like dudes aren't wired that way. And most of the time in these situations, especially in the playoffs, you're going to go with the best guys you've got track records and, and track records. And they show have charts. Adjustments, right? It's. Yeah, they they have charts that show which guy is ready today, which guy you have to be cautious with, and which guy you you is, is shut down based on workload. So the, yeah, the if that was know, the barring, case, of course, a, barring a guy gets up like Shane McClanahan did, warming up in the bullpen, and you feel something well, he gets in his hurt. Gets hurt. That's different. That yeah. that that would mean Jordan Romano would never throw as much as he throws his slider in the bullpen. <laughs> He'd never throw. You're a bad person. You're a bad person. Uh, that's it for us today. Uh, want to thank Susan Waldman and uh, Mike Stanton for joining us. Great that was stuff. good insight from from Mike Stanton on on uh, Jordan Alvarez. Just watch for that when you watch Jordan Alvarez at the plate. It's interesting, a dude that big, Kevin, not off balance. That yeah, yeah. That's, or try hey, this as, as a big man. That's hard, isn't it? As a or big try man, this. That's don't hard to don't, not throw, be off don't throw your third best pitch against one of the best hitters on planet Earth. How about how about not doing that either? Okay. So if. Very quickly before we scoot here, if this game is rained out, the uh, Guardians-Yankees game, you stick with the same pitching plans, right? You don't get Absolutely. too cute. Absolutely. Yeah. Mr. Barker, thank you so much for doing this. We will do this again tomorrow. Again, DMs are open for Blair and Barker. Barker's back late bits. We will be on the air from 11 to noon Eastern on Sportsnet 590. The fan every day through the end of the world series you can catch our podcast apple spotify wherever you get your favorite podcast thanks for joining us today enjoy the baseball talk again tomorrow